We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Bruce and Rude Podcast. This is episode two two seven of the pod. There you go. You're getting better at that. Yo, Musa, we're getting there. We're getting there. I barely even have to ask anymore. Only took me what two hundred half three. Give me like give me like two hundred twenty episodes where you kind of start to years? finally get it down. Yeah, we'll yeah. Get there. We started. I think the Mitch's rookie year. I think that's when we started uh, this podcast. Yeah, that bears draft. A, so that was a long time. A queasy feeling in my stomach. Not about the passage of time, just about the passage of quarterbacks. Uh, uh, and with that, we say hello, Matt, and how are you? Um, uh, I'm I'm doing all right. It's been uh, it's been a, been an interesting couple days, twenty four hours in, in in the Chicago sports landscape. That is yeah, uh, a whole lot of whole lot of whole lot of negative to talk yeah. about here on the pod. We, we're gonna. We're going to go positive. Um, if if you if you don't have any interest in hearing us uh, moan about the Bears, I, I mean I, I don't either. But we're going to do it, and we also have to um, touch upon this Blackhawks investigation, independent investigation that revealed. Um, I mean, wrongdoing is such a gross understatement mm-hmm. here for what occurred um, under the watch of Stan Bowman and and, and this now defunct regime. Uh, we're going to have you take us through it here. And then we're going to obviously get back on track with some positivity. We're going to talk bulls. We're going to talk NFL winners and losers. We're going to talk locks. Uh, we're going to give you everything you come to the Moose and Runes podcast for. Uh, I'd like to also give a little bit of a programming note here, audio note. I apologize for getting any echo. I am in a new apartment that is only half furnished right I'm now. I'm telling you, you sound dynamite. Okay. There's no echo. You sound fantastic. Love of the game. Love of the game. You know, we'll, we'll do it sitting sitting on the bathroom floor if we need to, Matt. I don't know if I need to move. I think we, we've we've done podcasting from from some interesting spots over the last couple of years. So uh, you're doing one on the bathroom hate, floor. I think my favorite is, and I had a flashback the other day before we get into it all here, Gate B of, of the yep. Denver International I remember that one. Airport. That was a good one. Yeah. Like I was, I was sitting against the people mover, uh, and we did a quick pod that week. I was once again uh, flying back uh, on Saturday, this last Saturday, um, from Arizona, connected in Denver, and like I'm standing on the people mover and like laugh to myself like, I remember that. It's, it's a it's a grind sometimes. It's a grind. Sometimes. My favorite for me was when I was uh, in a in a Hilton in Northern Ireland, Belf in Belfast, Northern nice. Ireland, after a full yeah, yeah, day yeah. of travel and hadn't slept yeah. in uh, about thirty six hours, and I, that was one of the loopier podcasts I think uh, I ever had. That was a good honorable one too. honorable mention front patio in uh, Sacramento because we were doing Moose and Runes after dark, and uh, my love lovely Moose and Runes after girlfriend dark. was asleep in the apartment. So we need to get one of those back at some point soon. We need, yeah, we'll we need, we need to do an after dark episode. That'll that'll be down the line when the Bears do even more to disappoint us, and we can't we can't stomach talking about their uh, when we just their weekend to, performance when when alcohol is a necessity. Yeah. But, um, Matt, let's uh, let's get right into it here. We're gonna go Hawks first. Get a couple of these things uh, out, you know, out on the pod, and then then move towards more what we're uh, what we enjoy doing. But it mm-hmm. cannot be glossed over here. Um, very much uh, an unceremonious end of a regime here. Um, One hundred and seven page report coming out uh, of an independent investigation done of um, you know a lot of cover up over the last decade. Uh, for those that are not going to sift through that one hundred and seven pages, I know you've already worked through a good portion of it. Can you give us an outline, some bullet points of what occurred, 
and what did not occur, frankly. Yeah. Um, so friend of the friend of the podcast, Brett Strelchek texted me yesterday and was basically like, Hey, like what's going on here? We don't, I don't really know like what's happening and all this. So, so I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that maybe heard this story pop up earlier this summer and then it kind of went away for a while and might, mm-hmm. might not know exactly what happened. Um, but essentially uh, in the playoff run in 2010, the first one, a video coach, assistant video coach or video coach, Brad Altridge uh, sexually assaulted a, player who he wasn't technically on the roster he was what's known as the um a black ace which are players from rockford that they'll they would call yep. up during uh playoff times to basically be on call if there was you know injury suspension mm-hmm. whatever they need an extra body um the player then took that report i believe it was or put, took his uh the accusation to i believe it was the the mental skills coach which was basically run up the ladder um and when it was run up the ladder officially made everybody was made aware of it after this uh, after the Blackhawks won game 4 against San Jose went to the Stanley Cup final there was a big meeting in the executive suite that included uh it was John McDonough, Stan Bowman, Al McIsaac who is the you know assistant whatever um assistant GM something along those lines Kevin mm-hmm. Dayoff, who was assistant GM and event- Joel Quenville was there at eventually he was not there at the beginning of the meeting which is kind of the gray area with him so nobody really knows exactly what Joel knew um, but the meeting was brought up that this happened and it was essentially agreed upon from there that John McDonough would handle the situation John McDonough then decided that his handling of the situation was we're going to wait till after the playoffs to do anything and then after that all he did was report it to HR um, nothing further really came from that. They gave Brad Aldrich the choice of resigning or staying with the organization and them conducting an investigation. He resigned. Nothing ever, again, nothing ever happened from it. He, he didn't get any, suffer any punishment from the team, anything. And then went on to go take jobs with the University of Miami, Ohio hockey team and a high school in Michigan, or I'm sorry, I think it's U.S. National Development yeah. Program in Michigan, in Michigan, where he was accused of sexual assault in both places. So essentially the Blackhawks decided to go chase the Stanley Cup and then do nothing about it afterwards. And that ended up harming several people down the line. And they think it's, it's tough to tell who exactly knew what, but Everybody in that room, the, that executive meeting room, down from you know from John uh, John McDonough down to Joel Quenville deserves some shoulder of the blame. I'm not John McDonough clearly deserves most of it, um, but everybody in that room knew something to an extent. Decided to not report it, and I think the the most curious then the curious is the right word the most disturbing part for me is knowing what they knew and i, I know 10 years ago it is a different time and, and all that kind of stuff but still this is a serious enough accusation where it shouldn't be a different time it should be something you take seriously um they waited five days after winning the stanley cup to even go to human resources and after winning the stanley cup they still allowed this guy to be around the organization. He got his yeah. day with the cup. He got to be, you know, he was on the ice when they won the cup. He was on the buses at the parade, all this kind of stuff. He was at the the famous Cub Sox picture uh, at, at Wrigley when the when the Hawks brought the cup to Wrigley for that Cub Sox game. He was in that. Um, just completely neglecting this entire accusation, whatever, for uh, I don't for a video coach. I don't care who, but it was, it's not like this was, 
Joel Quenville that was accused of doing this. This was some video coach that you could have just very easily said you're fired, not made it a not made it you know a big deal more than anything other than the Blackhawks firing you know, a video on coach at the time. Leave, Whatever, go through the paces. They did of, nothing. Yeah. They kept him around the team. They 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 kept him around uh, John Doe who. Uh, you could probably figure it out if you did enough research, knowing the age mm-hmm. of the player at the time and looking at the roster, all that stuff. It's not really important. Um, it's it's the fact that they decided winning was more important than this is disturbing. But like, I can at least see in a in a coach's head or a general manager's head how saying you know we we took it to our boss, we're going to take care of this in two weeks when the series is over. But the, the more disturbing part to me, don't get me wrong, that's completely wrong, very disturbing. Yeah. You should never put winning up above that. But the, the worst part for me is afterwards allowing him to be around, letting him get out of the organization, get new jobs and harm further people. And because that, like seems you said, be, that, is, that, is the, um, that is the crime beyond the crime here is yeah. that a, a professional um, organization and a corporation for that matter – as large and as um, and as prevalent and outward facing as the Chicago Blackhawks has the ability to be the stopgap, has mm-hmm. the ability to put an end to this. And like you said, if this is um, if this is scandal regarding a head coach, if this is scandal regarding a front office member, it's almost it's not understandable that they would act in this way, but it, it's it's almost more. Um, it's almost more expected that they would act in this way for it to be a video coach and them Mm -hmm. to insulate him and even further, um, you know, um, embolden him to continue to get away with this type of, uh, uh, this type of behavior elsewhere. It, it just goes to show that at no level of any business corporation team franchise, is anyone above the decision-making of a leader? And, and there, we, we felt and we were led to believe and we thought that this was, you know, this was a great franchise with great leadership that put the team in this situation to win. But so much more goes into being a great franchise. So much more goes into being a great person and a great leader than just the win-loss column and what comes out at the end of it. And if you're able to take that picture at Wrigley with the cup and if you're able to have those moments like we did over the last decade, because a lot of those moments are in a way tarnished here. I, I don't think it takes away from the on-ice uh, achievements of what the players did, because in the, at the end of the day, those are the guys who won the cup. But to have Joel Quinville's name on it, to know that the leaders of this franchise knew what was going on, and mm-hmm. for them to have some sort of moral ambiguity or be able to compartmentalize those two things, it's pretty damning. I mean, it's pretty sickening. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm never one to point the finger and call for some wide stretched and overarching punishment, but somebody has to answer for this beyond just a, a, a general manager stepping down and, um, and, and and frankly not even apologizing for what had happened like there there needs to be there needs to be further um, there needs to be just I, I, I hesitate to use the word punishment but there needs to be there needs to be change there needs to be widespread change knowing that this occurred in a franchise as sound and as successful as the Blackhawks you can only assume that things like this are happening elsewhere in the NHL, in 
other professional sports and in the workplace across the United States. This is a microcosm of how power corrupts. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that power can do a lot of good, but that's only if those in power are leading, you know, with morality and are leading with proper decision making. Because you look at a situation like this and it kind of makes you feel like everything you thought was wrong in a way. And um, it, it's it's very unfortunate and obviously um, our our thoughts go out to the victim and uh, the victims um, mm-hmm. of these of these crimes, and um, you know it, uh, the the fact that they had to live with this for a decade in silence or, or in relative silence. Um, it's an absolute shame, and, and it's a shame that those responsible should wear, um, not the victims. And I think that uh, you know a lot more is going to come of this. A lot more is going to be said about this, and. Uh, I just don't know. I just don't know how to feel about it right now because you know we talked a little bit in the pre-show, Matt, about you know it's it's an odd feeling because the the end result of Stan Bowman being released of his duties is what we wanted, but we did not want it by this means mm-hmm. anyway. So, just kind of zooming out for a second here, where does this leave the franchise in your eyes? Um, in better hands than it was um, in terms of hockey evaluator but in more important terms in terms of moral leader because i, tone I don't setter, think yeah. tone setter moral leader leader in general because i don't think you could have had a worse one than stan bowman um i i don't know how many of you read his statement that he released after quote unquote stepping aside mm-hmm. uh, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean um but i'm not going to read it all it's it's uh, it's it's few pair it's a you know two paragraphs whatever you want to say but it's 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 essentially it reads the same with the exception of him describing the incident it reads the same as a guy who's stepping away to spend more time with his family they never yeah. never once did he say the words apologize sorry uh victim anything like that the only thing that he ever said he stated regret for or was sorry for was I reg- uh, looking back, uh, basically he said he regrets assuming John McDonough would do the right thing. That's the only thing that he took. Essentially, essentially that's the only thing he took. Yes, essentially which, passing the buck to the next guy. Which, by, which, the, by the way, this is all. This is the, the buck did did stop with John McDonough. Uh, this is yeah. John McDonough deserves ninety five percent of the blame for this. But at the same time, even if if you're if first if you're Stan Bowman. At this time, you're hockey royalty. Your dad is Scotty Bowman. You might even wield a little bit more power with the Wurtzes in that organization than John McDonough. If your boss says this and, and you know, says, hey, we're, we're holding on to this. We're not doing this. We're, we're do- I'll do it my time. And then a few weeks go by and still nothing happens. You do nothing about it. You're every bit as complicit. If you're going on the, the buses and, and you have Brad Aldrich there and all this kind of stuff and you're not doing a damn thing about it, yeah. you're every bit is complicit. So he, he, the way all of these guys are speaking, and I, I don't think Joel Quenville has released a statement yet. I know he's going to be uh, sitting down with Gary Bettman and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I'll reserve my judgment for him until I think more comes out from him. But at least Stan Bowman's statement is cowardly and pathetic. Yeah, it's – um. It's really a, it's really just an awful situation, and just from the fans' perspective and the way that we're left to think about this, these are, these are the people we praised. You know, these are the mm-hmm. people that took this franchise from the doldrums and brought us back to not only prominence but dynasty type levels. And 
maybe we don't change the way we felt. I don't think we should change the way we felt about those teams and about those rosters and about that success. But we sh- no doubt are, are forever going to change the way we felt about the people who got us there. Um, yeah. At least off ice. It, no, this will uh, this will never impact the way I feel about Patrick Kane or Marion Hosa or Jonathan Taves or Duncan Keith. I don't. Those guys weren't involved, and I know you had Brent Sopel and Nick Boynton come out and say everybody knew, but there's also pretty conflicting reports, especially from the, the reports from this uh, the law firm that basically said only a handful of players even knew what happened. Yeah. Um, but the way they got there and the whole one-goal mantra, all that stuff, is it's, yeah. it's fraudulent. Uh, and, you know, the one goal um, quite, uh, quite apparently – just overshadowed everything else in its way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can look back in hindsight and you could, you know, take the HR approach and, and try and say all the things that should have been done right, but they weren't. Um, I understand that this was a franchise trying to do what they hadn't done in a very, very long time. And they in no way wanted any distractions in moving that direction. But the second you learn of this, the information needs to go to the people it needs to go to. Yeah. And the proper action needs to be taken over the following days and weeks. Um, was that going to take away from? Uh, was that going to take away from a celebration? Was that going to take away possibly from the championship? I don't think so, because it comes out that there's institutional mishandling within this franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, just from a PR standpoint, it's a story for however long it's a story. But the team dealt about it, pro- dealt with it properly. The person who was guilty of these heinous crime of this heinous crime is dealt with, mm-hmm. is handed over to authorities, and it's done. And you move forward. Now, this is this is something that's much harder to move forward from, uh, even though we are ten years uh, removed. It's it's at least nice that everybody involved with that is now out of the organization. I know Rocky Wirtz still technically runs it, but the report. And I have no reason to believe that the report is not accurate because you, a lot of times when a team will hire their do their own internal investigation, you, mm-hmm. you think they instruct the you know you think they control it a little bit. It's very clear that the Blackhawks controlled none of this. That this was a very accurate report, I think, and very well thorough. Done went, went through all that kind of stuff. I really don't think Rocky Works knew. I think McDonough just stopped everything and kept it at his level and he's the only one multiple people said he's the only one that would have talked to rocky about it and again that's a problem other people should have but i and truly do think rocky uh, is blindsided but, by it but that's that's also the understanding that i've had of uh, and you'd know better than i but that's just kind of that's kind of how rocky ran the business is that rocky mm-hmm. ran the business rocky yep. didn't run team ops rocky didn't have a lot of say in this or that he was he was the the head of the whole thing, and he he let his people do their bidding. He let his pe- or do his bidding. He let yes. his people do their work. And um, you know, in a situation like this, that uh, that leaves him blind to massive wrongdoing. And I guess if you're Rocky Wirtz, um, that leaves you in a in a much uh, a much better position than those below you. I guess right now. So I just I don't get it. Uh, I know I said it, but I just I don't understand when you're if if you're in that meeting, leave that meeting, all that stuff, and especially I believe it was at the time to the uh, Paul Vincent, who was I don't remember what his title was. I think he was a some sort of conditioning coach, something along those lines. But he heard of the incident and told them they have to go to the police, and they still decided to do nothing about it. He was a former cop, so he's someone that kind of knows these types yeah. of things. But I just at the time. 
how do you not just say, get away from the team, you're on administrative leave? It, it, it makes it, even if you didn't want to fire the guy because you wanted to wait the two weeks, do a little bit of your own, you know, due process, whatever that involves in terms of in terms of an internal investigation. How hard would it have been to be like, you know what, you're gone, get away from us. We're do we're going to conduct this investigation. We'll we'll circle back in two weeks after the finals are over. Yeah, wrong uh, wrong decisions were made at multiple junctures here and at multiple turns, and now. Uh now people are left to answer for it and people are left to um people are left to pick up the pieces and uh and move forward and like you said hopefully this uh, this franchise moves in a direction and is led by someone with not only more sound uh hockey sense but more sound morals and um and they can move on from here uh, it doesn't look like the on ice product is moving in the right direction right now either um, we can talk about that, Matt, but before we get there, I, I really just want to ask, like, in terms of the statement that you saw from Stan Bowman and, yeah. and the words that came out and how he's addressing this, it, it to me, it read like a guy who's trying to keep his job with USA Hockey. He knows already, he, are, he, he resigned from there already. That happened. Okay, too. he resigned. I, I was going to ask, you, I was gonna ask you, if you if you saw, you know, this having obvious effects on his, uh, his know, standing with USA hockey. I did. That's, that's I did what get the that statement vibe read too. like to me. It know? did seem like that. And I, I know he essentially resigned, but I, that statement to me read as somebody who either wanted to keep that job yeah. or wants to keep his name in the hat for jobs down the line. And he it might, it might be uh it might be roll credits. Um, yeah, it should be. He should not work in the his, NHL on, again. On at least on at least his, uh, his corner of the Bowman legacy. Yeah. He he should not be in an organization, in an NHL organization, the the rest of his life. I, you had your chance. You could have said something for ten. You know, the the, the words has kept saying, you know, if this were to happen under the stand that I know today, that I think it would have been handled different and all that. I, yeah. I don't know why they were so high praising of the way Stan of Stan Bowman's character and all that because Stan Bowman still knew about it the last few years and still could have you know done something came forward anything about it and then just didn't and waited for it to yeah. be you know waited for a lawsuit to come out and waited for an internal investigation to oust them before he did anything yeah um well hoping that uh those responsible are held accountable and, and we can move forward here uh really no easy way to pivot off of it matt but mm -hmm. uh from an on ice aspect uh the first few weeks of the season here couldn't have gone any worse nope um uh, you got the you got the coach handing the players the clipboard. You have embarrassing losses to rivals. You have embarrassing losses to um, non-rivals. You have a team unable to score goals. You have mm. a, a star goal scorer uh, not on the ice. Uh, what has been your assessment of the Blackhawks here? Um, I know we promised the Mats hockey yeah. last pod, but things obviously changed here in the last week or so. Um, confusion, honestly. I, yeah. I, I think you looked at this roster, and as much as I – dislike what Stan Bowman has done with the on ice product that I'm not going to get in the off ice product again, but the on ice product for the last, however many years, five, six years, um, this looked like a roster that was a borderline, you know, fringe playoff team, a playoff contender, that type of team, um, especially with Jonathan Taves coming back. And it just, they're not there. There doesn't seem to be, I, I don't know exactly what's missing. I, I do know that they're not, Jeremy Colleton's system just isn't working, and I'm not. Yeah. I, I, we talk about it with Matt Nagy. The what makes great coaches is the ability to adjust and adjust to what you have. And if your players aren't 
you know, buying into what, you know, aren't able to fulfill your system, all that kind of stuff, you need to adapt. And quite honestly, if, if your system doesn't work for Duncan Keith or doesn't work for Seth Jones or didn't work, you know, all, all these, you know, great players, def- it's more of his defensive system that's the problem, but, or Connor Murphy was very good. Like, if it doesn't work for them, it's probably just a bad system. So it, you have to make some sort of change there. I, I don't know what, um, what you know type of leash Kyle Davidson is going to have in terms of the coach. I, I hope he has some sort of ability to make a change there, but I, I don't really know. But in all honesty, I, I think Stan Bowman brought a toxic – that whole regime brought a little bit of a toxic environment, I think, to the front office and, and the organization as a whole. And I know the last few years, Stan Bowman did too, because the players, Patrick Kane, even kind of said that they're not involved in any sort of decision-making with the roster, which is, you look around sports, star players' opinions, while they're not necessarily going to be like, hey, go trade for this guy, you do it. You listen to your star players. You listen to the guys like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves that got you Stanley Cups, all that kind of stuff. They clearly weren't listened to the last few years. Stan Bowman said as much. He said, the players play, I make the decisions, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. I, I think him being out of the building helps. I think it's. I, I, I do think it's a breath of fresh air. Um, maybe that's me being a little bit optimistic that I think they, we see a little bit better of a team tonight against Toronto, who's also off to a, a slow, struggling start. But I, I, I think the... Hitting of you know, hitting the reset button for this roster. Now it's going to be tough if Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are still in COVID protocol and that kind of stuff. But it's I, I think it's a breath of fresh air for the organization because I don't think Stan's involvement was good for anybody. Yeah, except for um, Jeremy Colleton, who had allowed to keep a job way way too long. It's been ugly. Um, it's been uh, unwatchable. It's been a great fade that I've handed out to all of my friends at HQ. Just. Mm-hmm be on the opposite side of the Hawks until something changes uh, is essentially the approach right now. But uh, no, they're, they're, um, they're just in a bad place in every way possible. They're in a bad place in any angle you can look at it. Uh, not having the leaders there because of protocol is mm-hmm. obviously huge. Um, it's looking like, uh, and not to jump the gun here, but it's looking like the flurry signing might be uh, of the, Jared Allen defensive end ilk. Uh, it you know, be- I don't. I, he's he's a tough one because yeah. they, the way Vegas. Play, I, I still think Mark Andre Fleury is a very good goalie, um, but the way Vegas plays, it's such a defensive kind of friendly system, and they're so deep defensively that like their goalie's got a lot of help defensively. Yeah, that's, here he's. That's, it's, that's I don't. Fine. It's hard to blame. It's hard for me to blame Mark. Because there's I, not much in front of he's him. He's not get like because the system. If you watch, the, you don't you don't have to be a hockey you know savant to see that Hawks defensemen are chasing way too often because they're trying to play this dumbass system, and it's leading to uh, a, you know a plus scoring chances, high danger chances that Mark Andre Fleury or any goalie is not, but maybe the just, exception of Corey Crawford is not accustomed me. to seeing. Forgive me if I'm worried about the guy who was deciding whether or not he should get oh, on no, no. a plane or I'm retire. Not, I'm not. You know? I, I worry about him. Fine. I'm. I'm just saying. I don't think. I guess what, he's I'm not, not the. He's I'm not, not at the core of the issue. I, yeah, I'm not blaming him for this issue. I'm blaming this more of. I mean, some of these these chances that the Hawks are giving up and uh, that you're seeing on a nightly basis. It's compared to what he was seeing in Vegas. It's. It's. It's like almost negligent how, bad, how 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 awful the play has been in front of him. So while he needs to be better, and maybe there is a little bit of concern there, 
um, I, I can't be like, oh, he's he was a terrible acquisition. I think it's more of the the system that the Hawks have played, not just this year, but the last three or four years. That again, with the exception of Corey Crawford doing some some acrobatics on his head in the playoffs, like no goalie has really succeeded. That's fair, uh, Matt. Let's keep this thing moving beyond the Blackhawks. Uh, let's get to stay- a different team that sucks. Yeah, we're we're going to stay in a deep dark place. And we're going to talk about the Chicago Bears. I, I don't really want to talk about them for very long. Sure, that's everything- fine. Everything that we've said over the last uh, six weeks outside of a couple bright spots uh, in wins, I think it applies to everything that we saw against Tampa Bay in a 38-3 no-show. Uh, they don't get off the buses. They are playing uninspired football, I think, very much because of the leadership. It's frustrating because of how talented this roster is and the way they're not playing to that talent. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a quarterback, a young quarterback, who for the first time looked defeated, um, looked like he he was frustrated. Um, and I think that led to even uh, poorer play by Justin. And I think that you know five turnovers is something that's going to stick with you, and hopefully he moves forward from that in a positive way, I just don't know that there's any way to behind this offensive line. No, um, I put maybe three of those uh, to his name. The other two, I know they all—they all it doesn't matter in the box where they all show up as Justin Fields turnovers. But um, it was—I uh, I feel like it was the come to Jesus moment of, "Hey, this is who you are. It's time for a change here as well." And I hope um, so. We're not going to see that change um, at least nope. until something drastic happens. Uh, apparently, sources close to the McCaskies are reporting that uh, they're unhappy, are reporting that they're growing impatient. But um, what, like, what, what are you waiting about, for after this one? It's like, about time that you get up to speed because while you're growing impatient, the fan base, the, the people that fill your pockets and fill your stadium, they're done. Yeah, I'm past impatient. We're, we're I'm done. I don't care and, and I, I, I honestly I turned off the game. I turned off the game in the first quarter. I said it on Sunday, and I'm, I, you're lucky that you were able to do that. Um we're in the green room and we have all the games yeah. on. And I, you know, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't be watching this game. When everyone's mm-hmm. asking me, because you know, we 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 take each other's temperature on our teams. And again, I've always talked about how it's better when your team's good. Uh, now it's it's once again the Bears are the butt of the joke, and everyone's oh, Joe, I, what's going wrong? How are they going to change it? This and that. And I said, you know, guys, I don't know how they change it. We we all know what has to happen. We all know they have to clean house. We all know that they have to um, put this team on a different track and start them in a new direction. And there's only one way to do that. It's by releasing the coach, the general manager, and the team president of their duties. That's uh, Until that happens, I, I really can't get too worked up over it. Is it embarrassing? Yes. Would I turn it off if I could? Yes. But beyond that, like, what are we going to say? It, it's a team that that continually comes out and underperforms. And yeah, you could put some of that on the players. Uh, they're, they're to blame here. But I think the lion's share of that goes on the guy uh, setting the tone, and that's Matt Nagy. I don't think anyone in that locker room enjoys him. I don't think anyone in that locker room wants to play for him. I don't think anyone in that locker room believes in his game plan. Um, it's time to move on. And until then, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this team. Yeah, I you look at Justin Fields' box score, and I guess that's kind of what I want to would want to talk about and like yeah he had five turnovers but the two fumbles i believe the quarterback the the uh pass rush got one to was him. blindside yeah the, the, the pass rush got to him in under two seconds so yeah. that's kind of tough uh, i believe one of the interceptions was was the or no one of the interceptions was went through uh, mooney's hands went through mooney's hands one of the other ones was when a coach told him they had 12 players on the field get a snap off you have a free play and they didn't have 12 players on the field they had 11 so Good. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see the third one because I stopped watching the, I didn't, I stopped watching the football game. Um, there's just it, how you could have looked at that offensive line this off season and said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to cut my two starting tackles and I'm going to keep this $10 million tight end that doesn't play. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, like, I just, I, what, what is go- I don't care if you plan on drafting uh, Tevin Jenkins and hope you get him. Great. Then you have depth because when you go ahead and lose two, two starting tackles, you'd still have some guys there ready to play. It's, it's then, incompetence, sure, it's negligence, I mean, it's jogged, all that stuff. You just jogged my memory talking about the tackles, and I'm not sure if you heard Jason Peters talk yesterday. Jason Peters, yeah. is he the head coach now? He, he sure as hell sounded like more really did. than our actual head coach because that is a professional. That is a veteran. That's a guy who's seen it all, and he's just trying to get the last bit out of his body, and I'm not sure that he can. But his play aside, it's a man who understands – you know, that, that Philly team that he was on that won the Super Bowl, that team uh, – it, it really uh, – it really was not the most impressive team in terms of talent. No. It was an amazing team. And that that guy was one of the leaders in that room who understands what it takes to be there and what it takes to get there. They love their coach uh, in, in Doug Peterson. Peterson? Peterson? Yeah, Doug Peterson. Peterson. I was going to say Peters. Doug Peterson, but it's Jason Peters. Jason Peterson. Um, it was it was all the makings of a core of a unit, and it's everything that the Bears are lacking. So to hear a guy who has that experience and this many years in – uh, it, it just is um, – it's damning in many ways, and it's uh, it's a real shame that we have to every Sunday fucking put on our clown makeup and, and cry while we smile and, and watch this team make an embarrassment of our city, watch this team make an embarrassment of us fans, and, and um, I'm done with it. I, I really am, and I know we've gotten there multiple times, um, but I'm there again, and uh, I'm hoping that Justin Fields can stay healthy. I'm hoping that he can – squeeze whatever drops of development or experience out of this absolutely dried up lemon of a franchise and of a coaching staff and that he can move forward positively somehow out of this experience with somebody else next year because this this can't this can't sustain and if this if this front office if this ownership has the gall let's say the bears win six games seven games this season if they have the gall to bring back anybody related with setting this tone there needs to be um there needs to be widespread retribution there needs to be cancellation of season tickets there needs to be i i I don't know that that's the thing is when when a family and when a um when a group of people owns a team and makes all the decisions they really don't answer to anybody this whole they answer to the fans thing it's a fallacy they do Mm -hmm. what they want um, we need to, in some way, like our the, the voice of the fan is being heard. Unless these people are so up in their ivory tower and not listening to anybody, they know how Chicago feels about this. Um, they need to answer to the city. And if these people are brought back, and frankly, if these people are not fired in the coming weeks, we need to start making our voices heard louder. And I don't know how we do that, but but it's time. It, it, yeah. it really, it's time. I mean, you become like you said, not just like a punchline with your friends in the newsroom, you've become a punchline in the NFL. Like Tom Brady's laughing at you. Aaron Rodgers yeah. is saying, I own you and laughing at you. Like if you are a, like your, your grandfather and your father founded the damn league. 
Yeah, and you've, you've become a laughing stock, and you're like you're allowing this. You're oh, it's okay. Matt's they collaborate really well. There's a nice, they're nice guys. They they're re- they're very respectful when they see Virginia in the building. They're very nice. Like, what are we doing here? This is yeah. I, I hate to sound meatball, but you just like George. It's Alice the fucking is, NFL. It's not a yeah. Ball. George, George Alice is rolling over. Like it's not like. It's not like they're a young team that's, you know, it's, it's like, it's not like they're a team like the Giants that's, you know, they're, yeah, they're young. They're not all that good, but they're playing really hard. Like they're giving teams trouble, all that kind of stuff. They're rolling over and dying. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm done talking that's about it. them. I'm, I'm good. I'm, that's, that's all I have on them. Uh, it'll probably be the same refrain next week, but uh, no, honestly, the worst part is I think they're going to win next week because that's the yeah. Matt Nagy formula as they get embarrassed. They beat an inferior team because the Niners kind of stink right now. And every other than all is well and Hall is hell. Hall, hell uh, is hell. Hall is hell. I like Hall. Is well, you know, we're going to call it Hall is hell because they don't deserve to be. Because everything is they, backwards. They, they don't deserve to be under the name of George Hallis right now. That's fair enough. Let's go winners and losers. Excuse me. Across the NFL here, uh, I'll lead us off here with my big winner, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, who day? A little bit of who day taking care of a, a divisional foe here in Baltimore. Um, they have the head to head, so they. Heading into week eight of the NFL season, I don't know if anybody had the Cincinnati Bengals at the top of the division, but there they are. Burrow looked amazing. Jamar Chase is putting up numbers, and I feel like, yeah, we're we're celebrating him. We're in awe of it, but like when you put those numbers next to Randy Moss's rookie year numbers, he's he's, he's doing out, something right. He's he has the he's putting together the greatest season by a rookie wide receiver in the history of football. That's not overstatement. Um, he is, he has six touchdowns. He has 754 receiving yards, which is the most through seven games by any rookie receiver or any rookie player in the history of football. It is sensational stuff. The defense is rallying around. I, they're a really fun team right now. And I really just, enjoy, I, I just thoroughly enjoy watching Joe Burrow get better every single week. They're my big winner this week. I got. I, I'm in between two of them. Part of me wanted to say the Colts, but I, I think I'm going to reserve judgment on them till this week, and, and we'll get to that a little later. I think uh, I'm going with the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I, I think they're the other clear choice. They the, the score, the final score was 33-22, but that game was nowhere near that close. I believe they led 33-7 over Philly at, point, at times. Derek Carr was 31 of 34 for 320 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he's. He's on pace, I believe, to break Peyton Manning's all uh, single season passing record. I know yeah. have an extra game to do so. He probably won't end up doing it, but that's how good he's looked. And just how that organization has responded to a big time change, a big time disruption of of chemistry, and rightfully so, John Gruden resigning, stepping away, and all that. Um, but how how they've responded, mm-hmm. um, it's been incredibly impressive. They've they've reeled together back to back good wins and they're five and two and in the thick of that divisional race with a, a Kansas city team. That's reeling a chargers team. That's going to be coming off a blowout loss. Um, they're, they're right there in the thick of the AFC West. Yeah. Uh, it, it's been great to see them playing the way they're playing. And like you said too, in the face of their own scandal, uh, rallying around, uh, likely their quarterback. Cause I've, I've said it time and again on this pod, on this pod. Great um, guy for, for anyone who thinks that, Derek Carr's a cheese ball. He's not. He's a God-fearing man. He's a leader. And if that locker room is bought into that man, they're being led by by the man. Like mm-hmm. he is. He's a great dude. He might come off as a little JJ Wattish at times, like a hat backwards, ten percent luck, twenty percent skill type situation. But he's not. He's just 
a solid dude who knows how to lead and he's doing that right now and uh, it, it's a lot of fun to watch it's it's an easy team to root for and Definitely. honestly with the with the bears ineptitude whatever you want to call it the, the raiders are, are slowly becoming kind of Uh-oh. my we got we got a new raiders fan they're slowly becoming my my team to look for my team to Vegas, watch i'm watching them uh, in Just terms win, of baby. biggest losers on the week, you can put the Bears in that category. You could obviously put the Chiefs in that category for not showing up against Tennessee. But my biggest loser this week is the Miami Dolphins. This goes on and off field. On field, you lose a heartbreaker. I had them on the money line. That was by, tough. Uh, young Young Hoku, Young Waku, excuse me. Like they just, it's like a Kofi Coburn situation. Yeah. Just changed the name. Um, Thirty to twenty-eight, they lost to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Miami now uh, sitting at, I believe, one and six on the season. Uh, they went from first in the league in total defense to, I believe, right around last in the league right now in total defense. They look like a shell of themselves. They look terrible. Even when Tua looks good, it looks bad. Mm-hmm. But now you got your hat in on a, you got your your name in a hat on a. Uh, three-time Pro Bowl, 26-year-old um, quarterback who led the league in passing or and and is and now has 22 allegations of sexual assault or sexual misconduct, and you think that's going to be the guy who's going to turn this thing around? You think that's the difference? Tua didn't play that poorly. Tua had four touchdown passes. Mm-hmm. If you think quarterback is the issue with that team, uh, you're thinking all wrong. Um, uh, does Deshaun Watson make them any better? I mean, in a vacuum, take away the off-field stuff. I don't know how much better he makes them because last year Deshaun Watson had eight million yards passing and went four and twelve. So, so does he equal wins? I don't know. I just think that that's another franchise that's headed in the wrong direction in a hurry. After it felt like last year they had it turned around, I think almost midway through this season they have to look in the mirror and say, "We're the biggest loser." Um, mm-hmm. I think the Miami Dolphins are huge losers here over the last ten days or so. Yeah, hard to uh, hard to disagree with them. I. I- I had two that popped out at me, one being the Carolina Panthers, one being the San Francisco 49ers. I'm going to go more with the 49ers. Uh, don't get me wrong. The Panthers are big losers this weekend, getting smoked by the Giants, and, and Sam Darnold looked terrible and all that, but we didn't really expect them to be much more than a 500 team. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers were not just by us. They were a dark horse NFC title contender, all that kind of stuff, and now they just seem like a team lost without any, without any answers. Jimmy Garoppolo is very clearly not the guy. Trey Lance is hurt and has honestly struggled a little bit in his his limited opportunities. And and Kyle everything Sh- Kyle Shanahan says that that young man is not ready to play professional yeah. football. I, I, that, he, his, his, Kyle Shanahan's quote was uh, when they asked if Jimmy's starting next week. He said, "Well, I would guess so. Like yeah. he 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 looks like a guy who's struggling to find some answers right now." Um, they're, they've gone from you know being a, a darling in the NFC to what the hell is wrong with them. Uh, and that's their tail spinning fast in a division that they're probably already eliminated from. Uh, not that mm-hmm. it was going to be it was going to be a tough uphill climb anyways, but they still had a lot of you know have a lot of divisional games ahead of them. The last night's or sorry Sunday night's game probably eliminates them from any chance there and, and probably comes pretty darn close to taking them out of a playoff race too. So that, that for me is, is, is the biggest loser. You had a chance on home at home on Sunday night to, to take down a whatever Colts team and they just got spanked. Yeah. Um, I think that you could, uh, you could call them done and, and you, they're kind of cooked. Um, there's been a couple articles, our guy, Dieter Kurtenbach, a, uh, a Fenwick Fryer, great name, columnist out West, uh, for the Mercury news, I believe right now, uh, put together a column and I mean, no one's closer to the team than he is. Um, 
and it's it's hot seat time apparently for Kyle Shanahan too, which I kind of love to hear because I they could lose a million games this year. I would love to have Kyle Shanahan developing uh, developing our quarterback. Um, I don't think that's the case ultimately, but uh, a lot of people getting fed up over there as well. So I, I think that's a, a good call on biggest loser of the week. Yeah. Uh, let's talk positivity. Let's talk Chicago Bulls. Let's do let's it. Talk, let's Only talk the Bulls. The best, let's talk the best start in franchise in the franchise since '96. Uh, dark history here. '96, '97. First time that they open up uh, five and one, I believe. Is that the current record? I know it's uh, four and one, five and one. Whatever. Yeah, I don't remember. Honestly. They are sitting at four and excuse me, four and zero. Oh. What am I talking about? They have not lost yet. Oh this yeah, season. sorry, sorry, you're talking about nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the four. And, uh, their Piston first four Pelicans, two wins over the Pistons, a win over the Pels, and a hold off win against the Raptors. Uh, they got the Knicks it, it, at home, so welcoming back Tibbs, welcoming back uh, Joakim uh, Noah. I think Rose, it's Joakim Noah well- night back it's also. Joakim Noah night welcome back Taji Wu um gonna be a lot of emotions out there but I think the prevailing emotion about these bulls is excitement uh they're playing together they look like a lot look like a lot of fun night after night everybody's got like 16 or 17 Levine gets his 25 like Vooch I, I hope it stays this way because you know Vooch isn't getting the shots up that he usually does but he's playing his part and mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, you're going to start approaching a one ball scenario. There's only one ball out there, but I think these guys are fine playing the way that they're playing. And they've obviously, you know, they've obviously seen the success in doing so. So I I just have really enjoyed watching them get up and down the court fast. Um, They're playing enough defense to win. And uh, I think DeMar DeRozan's been just about as good, if not better than, than you could have expected. A lot of people were down on that signing. Um, Beyond that, man, it's looking good. It's looking like not only a playoff team, but a, uh, dare I say a contender you got you got headband Caruso uh, doing like I said being a, a fully formed uh, version of himself I mean LeBron's got to be looking at his team right now and saying we let that guy go <laughs> we let that guy get out of we let, here we let that guy go Lonzo looks awesome it's just been it's fun basketball which is something new for the Bulls yeah I, I think the one thing you probably say they're missing is uh, the guy that played Daniel Tice type role from last year the the kind of big man off the bench then come in and be a be a defensive specialist rebound kind of guy because as good as Vooch is offensively he's never been a lot lot of that from Pat when he comes back will you but um I think it's hard to not really like what you've seen so far Zach Levine has taken kind of the next step DeMar DeRozan has lived up to the hype and I I had no idea how good of I mean you saw him in the, the Raptors game where I mean a lot of these young guys as good as they are like Zach Levine still kind of learning how to win and win you know, consistently in close games, DeMar DeRozan's a guy that knows how to do that. And DeMar DeRozan in the fourth quarter just kind of took the ball. And when it came down to ISO ball time at the end of the game was was nails. He was great. He had just put every turnaround jumper he put up. And he was that, you know, consistent veteran presence. Said all you said all you can say about Zach. He's the best player on the team. He's he's looking every bit of a superstar. And I'm I had no idea how efficient Lonzo Ball was as a player. He does a little bit of everything. Yep plays defense he's a great passer he can grab you some boards he's gonna hit an open three and the amount of times because i would say well, what was it monday night's game against the raptors was probably the one i've watched the most this year of this year but the amount of times that they made the extra pass to the open man and actually hit the three mm-hmm. which is something they've tried they've done several times in years past especially the, the billy donovan regime where they do end up making the extra pass they get it the open man and clank the three the amount of times they made that three on monday night I was like oh this is cool like they're doing what you're supposed to do yeah um, i think that they're a fun team to watch a, it's largely a product of uh ak 
putting the right pieces on the team and on the bench for Billy Donovan and Billy Donovan, you know, doing what he does best and getting the most out of a team. You know, yeah. we saw Billy Donovan get his hands on a weird roster um, to start things off and uh, yet turn things around a little, but I think here's where you start to see momentum building yep. where Billy's got some guys he can move around the way he wants. People forget it's a bulls town. See red. Uh, it, it's the one thing to be excited about. It's the one thing to be happy about right now in Chicago. So why the hell not? Um, let's I'm excited to see the, the next game. I think it's tomorrow night on, I think it's on yep. TNT Thursday. Um, Is it a TNT? Year? I think it's a TNT game. I'm not a hundred percent sure. So don't quote me on that, but that's, I mean, is as nice as is as it is to start four and zero. They kind of have beaten the teams they should beat. This is a, a good Knicks team. That you know, three and one. They play really good defense. They they got some talent there. This is an interesting matchup. This is one that I, I'm, I'm interested to see how they you know come out and start. Yep, be a fun one, uh, Matt. Let's get to some locks of the week here before we say goodbye to the people. Don't look now. Well, in fairness, I told you to look now. Like don't look two weeks now, ago, but. The boys are knotted up at five and three. My heater continues. Your slide continues. We are back uh, to level footing here. Five and three each way through eight picks. Matt, lead us off here with your uh, with your lock of the week. Uh, I'm going with Dallas Cowboys laying two and a half at Minnesota. I I don't understand it. I, I it makes no sense to me. I know Minnesota plays decent offense, but Dallas has been one of the best teams in football this year, uh, and they've done it both on the road and at home. And laying two and a half, you just pretty much expect them to go in and win that game. And I, I don't think the Vikings are beating the Cowboys. So I'm going to lay the two and a half with the Cowboys in Minnesota. Uh, I like that pick. I will move forward with that as well. Um, might be getting to fade Matt season, but we won't say it just yet. For me, I am taking the Tennessee Titans laying a short one at home against Indy. I've said it here on the pod before. I am not a Colts believer. I think there's a little bit of a reactionary line and the Colts going mm-hmm. to Santa Clara, getting that win in the rain, messy game, kind of throw out the, t- that, I think that's, um, that, that's a very uh, leveling factor that, that kind of brings good teams and bad teams back to, yeah. back to like Level. the mid zone when you play a game there. I think uh, Vegas is, uh, is giving us a little bit of help here. Tennessee, meanwhile, has the best back in the game. They have one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the game. That defense looked like they started to maybe turn a corner. If they can somewhat limit Carson Wentz and that and more more Jonathan Taylor than Carson Wentz, it's a short one. It's at home. You're barely even getting home field advantage here with that one. Uh, excuse me, you're barely giving home field advantage here with that one. I think Tennessee is at least four and a half better uh, than the Colts. Give me Tennessee laying the one against Indy. I like that a lot. Uh, that's going to be that's it's a pretty big game for them too because if Tennessee gets that win, then that create some serious separation against the Colts in the division because they already had that week one or not week one it was early earlier on in the season win so I'm uh, that, that's going to be an interesting one to watch moving forward to that one too yep uh, you got anything else for the people Matt before we say au revoir au revoir I do not have anything more for the people other than that was a that was a great effort on the accent yeah we've gotten we've gotten to the French portion of the podcast which means which, which means it's time to go which means it's over see uh, red folks because uh, we gotta stay positive we gotta keep rooting for our teams here and that team is the bullies right now um, the bears are downed and uh Beyond that, hoping that um, some resolution can come and those can be held responsible uh, in the Blackhawks organization just beyond being sent uh, their walking papers. Um, Don't want to go out on a negative note. Uh, It's always positive to sit down here and talk with you, Matt. It is always a pleasure. We thank you, the listeners, for tuning into the Moose and Roots podcast, episode 227. 
Yep. Didn't know it at the beginning. Got it again. Don't know it at the end. Only way to say goodbye is to say goodbye. Matt, say goodbye. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the state was phenomenal.